Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I'd like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and recognise the ongoing contribution they make to the life of this city and region. Today, a special episode of Work With Purpose, which is a recording of a session that took place in May of this year, where IPA ACT board member and chairman of partners at KPMG Canberra, Kath Ingram, hosted a stimulating conversation with a number of senior public servants where they answered the question, why be a public servant? It starts with the voice of Kath Ingram. Firstly, could I welcome and introduce Sean Innes, Pat Hetherington, and beaming in from New Zealand, we have Harinda Sadhu. So firstly, Sean. Sean's had a long career in the APS, formerly at DSS and senior leadership positions at PMC and the Productivity Commission. Uh, Sean, I think, will bring today that best of both worlds because he's lived and had formative experiences of leadership in the APS, but he is now a principal at Damala Street Consulting. He is also an honorary fellow at the Australian Studies Institute at the ANU and is a senior fellow and chair of the Public Policy Forum, uh, which is an ADC forum. So Sean's able to look from the inside and outside today. So welcome, Sean. Pat Hetherington is the new Chief Operating Officer of the Department of Social Services. And I understand, Pat, you uh, only just started this job recently in the last month after being the Deputy Commissioner and before that the First Assistance Commissioner at the Australian Public Service Commission. And lastly, Harinda Sadhu is the Australian High Commissioner to New Zealand and was previously uh, the Commissioner, High Commissioner to India and the Ambassador to the Kingdom of Bhutan. All of our panellists are ACT councillors and so could you join with me in welcoming our panel today. Well, today in exploring this topic, why be a public servant, we're going to dig into the challenges and the rewards. Um, it's a complex, challenging environment. It's been changing rapidly over the last two years of the pandemic. And I think with the announcements from the Prime Minister, who has some optimism for restoring a professional relationship with the Australian public service. We're going to look at purpose, impact, rewards, challenges in what is a contemporary public service and also explore some of the more gnarly issues. What does it mean to be a steward? Uh, what is ethical decision making and how do we manage when perhaps we're challenged? And also talking about the hollowing out and the building of capability for a contemporary public service. So building on that, what I'd like to do is firstly explore the question with my panel, what drew you to the public service? And then secondly, perhaps what is the current biggest draw card or what keeps you there? So Harinda, can I throw to you, what do you think is the biggest draw card? What drew you to the public service and what keeps your passion burning? Okay, so at the risk of sounding terribly shallow, um, uh, what drew me to the public service was the prospect of travel. 
Um, I saw the I joined I saw the advertisements to join the Department of Foreign Affairs, and as a first generation migrant for whom this sort of thing was completely out of reach, it was this sense of adventure that I thought I could get to, and I did not really think about public service as such. But years later, a few years later, when I ended up working in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, I absolutely fell in love with the business of government. Um, and I began to understand how government worked, the importance of the public service in making democracy work well. And right now, where I am, is I'm committed to contributing to the best public service that I can, to building capability, to delivering efficiency so things work well, and to delivering for your average Australian. Every day, the sense that I my work makes a small difference is what continues to motivate me and inspire me. And the takeout I have from my own journey, and it must be for many other people because I was thinking about this, you know, when you join as a graduate in the Department of Home Affairs, very few people would do so with a burning desire to work on immigration policy. Um, it's to find a way to harness that spirit in people um, who join the public service and, and move that along. But that's, that's what works for me. Great. Thank you, Gurinder. Um, Sean, what was your burning desire and what are you to reflect on about the public service? Yeah, and can I start? It would have been lovely to see her in the... Um, uh, but hearing her is just as lovely. <laughs> and we are at PM&C together a very long time ago. Um, yeah. And my story's a little bit different. So I'm a Perth boy. I fundamentally believe the sun should set over the ocean. I can see the sun <laughs> set from my front window. It sets over some hills. It's kind of pretty. It's just wrong. Uh, and I always felt that my life was going to... I was going to be a beach bum and sit under a tree and play my guitar and go swimming. Uh, so what drew me to Canberra? And uh, genuinely, it was the opportunity to make a difference to the nation as a whole. As a whole. And you can't do that anywhere else. As a whole. A whole nation. So that's the thing that drew me. I was actually enrolled in architecture at UWA. Uh, and what I've discovered since is I love design. Would have been a rubbish architect. Would have been an ordinary beach bum. I'd order given it a go. Um, I love designing for human beings, and I love designing for society. And that's the thing that drives me and drove me to be a public servant. Great. And Pat, I'm just going to change the question slightly for you. If you were writing a letter to your younger self when you were starting out your career, what would you say to that young Pat Hetherington about the career he was embarking on? Well, I, I accept that it's a different question, but I'm going to answer it as a good public servant would in the way that I choose to answer it. <laughs> um, uh, don't join for the money and fame, because it ain't there. I, I suppose my, my story in some ways is not, not dissimilar. I, I did... So what I would say to my younger self is, do what makes you happy. Do something you love. Mm. Don't pursue dollars. Don't pursue kind of, you know, self-importance and fame. Do something that actually makes you feel good. And whether that's being a public servant or, or any other occupation, that is what I would say to, right. to my younger self. Um, I suppose I, I joined the... I studied economics and commerce at ANU and, and um, like everybody that does economics and commerce, I was going to be a billionaire hedge fund trader. Um, <laughs> I haven't written it off yet. It's still there somewhere. But I so 
I thought I'd better do some travelling, right? A bit like Harinda, I thought travel would be good. Um, need some money to do that. I joined the public service as a non-ongoing APS3 in the Department of Defence, and then I never left. And, and the reason is because, um, I, I suppose what my colleagues have said, um, I sort of fell in love with the mission, right? So I was finance guy, I was involved in costing operations, so, you know, deployments to Iraq and, and Afghanistan and Timor and those sorts of things. Uh, and I felt a real sense of purpose. You know, it was, it was something really important this country was doing for, for us as a nation, but for others. Um, and I've done lots and lots of things now in my public service career, but all of them have been about, you know, how do we move, how do we move our country forward? How do we contribute uh, to this country? And how do we kind of make sure that Australia remains prosperous into the future for its people? And I think, you know, for me, that's what's kept me in the public service. Right. Thank you. Um, Harinder, I'm going to go to you now, just building actually on Pat's comment there about purpose and, and Sean's comment about the whole of Australia. But let's talk about the professional dilemmas. Uh, at times, there's the enormous rush, I'm sure, that goes with uh, these amazing policies and programs that you deliver and can make a difference. But sometimes we can find ourselves perhaps disagreeing or our values not aligned, perhaps to a government policy or program. And you talk about um, you started your career at Home Affairs. Are we expected to work on that policy and program? And then what's your advice to people here in the room about how do you manage and deal with professional dilemmas? What advice would you give to others, Harinda? Uh, thanks for that, Kath. Um, I didn't start in home affairs, actually. I started in, in uh, foreign affairs. Um, but he, in the course of my career, I have worked on a number of issues that I think you would say are either controversial or morally challenging. So I worked on people smuggling way back in 2000, 2001, when it was a very big shift in government's policy. Um, and people found that very, very challenging. In fact, there were people, I remember in those early days of meetings, public servants who found they couldn't stay in the room and uh, just found that the, the, where the policy was going was so challenging for them. I've worked in intelligence and I've worked in the Department of Climate Change for virtually its entire existence uh, at a time where that was a hotly contested policy issue. I hope it's not really as hotly contested as now as it was then. And what keeps me going through all of that is remembering that I am first and foremost a servant of democracy. Um, governments are democratically elected by the people. We public servants serve the governments. Um, I cannot, in my mind, as a public servant, individually override the will of the people or the government. So I will bring my skills to bear to serve the government. That said, I recall in those early days of the change in government policy on people smuggling, when Peter Shergold was the secretary of PM&C, and um, he stood up at an all-staff meeting one point and he said, look, I know people find this really difficult. Sean's nodding, he might even remember this because I think you were there. Um, um, he said, there are no shackles around your ankles. The public service is a very, very broad church, a very big space. If you find you cannot work on a particular policy issue, go and apply your skills somewhere else. You're not bound to stay in this space. And I think that that was also very good advice. It's one thing that I keep in mind that, you know, if I really feel I can't, I, nobody is holding me there. 
Thanks, Harinda. Sean, then to build on that and perhaps also extending the question um, to that of empowerment and having your voice in the APS and how do you find that and where do you have to hold the space and where do you contribute and share that voice? So perhaps some perspectives from both sides of the coin where you've uh, been with the um, public service. Uh, thanks, Kath. A terrific answer from Harinda, and I remember that meeting well. And I think there are some realities about being a public servant. So there are lots of privileges, <coughs> lots of privileges. Uh, Harinda put it beautifully, we're servants of democracy. We're servants of democracy. There is a reality that comes with that, and you serve the government of the day, the government that's been elected by the people. And just like Harinda, I've got some things that, you know, deeply, uh, I feel deep conflict about personally. So I was involved in writing the cabinet documents that set up the Northern Territory intervention. I could see that there were good hearts involved, but I was deeply, deeply conflicted personally about elements of that policy. And the thing that got me through was we are serving the government of the day, we're servants of democracy, and we all get a vote on this later, all of us. Uh, so you do need to support decisions and implementation you don't like. That is just comes with the territory. Uh, you have to support people whose philosophical bent doesn't match your own. That comes with the territory. Uh, the thing I'd say is there's nothing wrong with having different views. In fact, the public service works by bringing together a diversity of views. We need to understand and to a degree, degree reflect the whole spectrum of views we see in our nation. We need to understand them, bring them together. So we do need to do that, and we ourselves are human beings and we're allowed to have our views. But the APS is no place for a crusade. So where I saw people really finding it difficult, uh, Herinda will remember this, climate change, uh, clearly people smuggling, Indigenous affairs and home affairs, all areas where I've seen public servants really struggle, really struggle. Cathy, uh, ask about freedom of expression and um, uh, very important to have diversity in, but also very important that you hold your voice outside and especially as you become more senior. And I think it's becoming more difficult for people that we live in a social media age where actually there's probably no such thing as a private conversation. You know, John Howard a long time ago talked about the barbecue stopper. <laughs> In a sense, Twitter is the barbecue of today. It's just that you're having it with everyone in society at once. So there is uh, some things you've got to give up, and your public voice is one of them. Um, I didn't transition to my new life, which was through the Productivity Commission, ANU, and then uh, my own staff. A part of what I wanted to do was talk publicly about what I've learnt and the things I've seen and the policy issues of today much more openly than I could as a public servant. So I made the choice to make a transition. Uh, th that is a choice. 
Thank you. I'm going to change now, Pat. Can, uh, can I, can I please, add one more of course. thing to that? Just because <clears throat> I feel I should. I, I agree with everything colleagues have said. You, you have agency, you have choice, right? If there's something that grates against you deeply, you should think about being somewhere else because our job as public servants is to serve the government of the day and the people. Um, but the other side of that is we have influence. So when we talk about policy development, when we talk about things that a position that a government might take, we can inform that position, right? So you're not without power, you're not without voice. The, the, the voice piece publicly is, is entirely relevant and proper. But as public servants, you know, you think about, so we've just had a change of government. The, the first piece of advice that that government is gonna see, ministers are gonna see, will be our IGBs, right? So we as public servants have crafted the first piece of advice a new government is gonna lay its eyes on. And it's gonna help, it's gonna help set the agenda. They've got an agenda for sure, but it's gonna help give them the detail that will make that agenda real. Um, and so, you know, think about, <clears throat> you know, in your own roles, how you can influence the direction of policy. Um, uh, if, and then if wherever the policy lands, it's something that doesn't fit with you personally, then think about how you extract yourself from that situation, because ultimately the role is, you know, serve the government. No, that's great. Right. Thank you, Pat. And building on that, then let's move to uh, stewardship. Um, is it different from leadership? But we talk about uh, public servants often need to take responsibility for different things, a system, a framework, a culture. What do you see the benefits and challenges of the public service performing stewardship functions? What does it mean to you to be a steward of the public service? Do you want to go to me first? Please, Pat, yeah. Yeah, happy to, happy to kick off on that one. So, you know, we talk a lot about, um, in particular, SES officers being stewards of the public service. I actually think we're, we're all stewards of the public service. Um, and I, I think, so when I see us working at our best is when we all work together, right? Um, over the last couple of years and it's, everyone's got a COVID story and everyone, you know, has done something important in the context of COVID. Um, I was... I was deployed uh, down to Services Australia to help mobilise the workforce into Services Australia from Defence into Services for about three or four months. Um, and, you know, like so many other big problems that, that we grapple with as a nation, it, it's multi-agency. Everything is... Every, all the big problems that we're grappling with are multi-departmental, multi-agency, multi-sector. And you, you just can't get them done unless you kind of work together as a cohesive unit. And I think um, kind of being able to do that, come together for me, uh, you know, around the purpose of the public service is just is so important. And so um, I kind of fills me with such pride uh, what we've been able to do as a service. Um, and then I think about why don't we do that all the time? So why is it that it takes a crisis to do that all the time? Um, we're all we're all kind of stupid. We, we should all strive to leave the public service in a better place than than we found it. Um, certainly, I, I have to think about that pretty frequently about, you know, what am I going to do that's going to lift the public service in some way that's beyond my department, beyond me as a person. Um, and I would challenge all of you to do that. Um, I think part of, part of what prevents us from thinking holistically about the service is, you know, our traditional portfolio lines. And this is a problem, I'm sure Sean can talk about it and Harinda can talk about it. Um, uh, I think part of what prevents us from playing that real stewardship role across the public sector is, we have ministers, they have their priorities, our secretaries have priorities in response to ministers, and we do like to live within our lane. 
Um, I just don't see that being the future. And I think if we can break the culture down a little bit uh, to operate um, more regularly, more routinely as a public service, then this notion of stewardship of the public service becomes more real to people because you see kind of all the elements of government and how they interact. Um, it will help you to think about what are some of those things that I can do to make the services a whole better. And I think once we can, we can kind of grapple with some of those cultural pieces around, um, I guess, that you know, stove piping in the public sector, then, then it's going to be easier for us to get after stewardship in a real sense. I'll stop. Harinda, can I um, go to you to comment on stewardship and particularly in your role because you have a role facing into um, the world in your role um, as a High Commissioner as part of Foreign Affairs. So your reflections on stewardship. Yeah, there's so many dimensions and, and I really want to endorse everything that Pat said. And can I also just give my full um, endorsement to Pat's point about the, the early question about voice? I thought that was really powerful and an important point. So I just want to make that point. Um, so I see stewardship as having, there's two dimensions, right? It's what we as the public service are stewards of, which is kind of the institutions of government, the things that make things run. I know we sort of make a joke, you know, I think it was the 2019 election where it took a while for the government to be finally formed. And, you know, everyone says, well, everything ran because the public service is able to run it. But that's actually a sign of the strength of the public service's care for the institutions. And I think we should never lose sight of that because that then um, translates into what it is to be a steward of the public service. And I'm definitely here with um, Pat in that it's, um, it's a responsibility of everybody to... Um, to, um, uh, you know, um, contribute to that. But um, SES officers, I do think here, have a special responsibility. Um, and it is about inculcating the values and public service values into everybody. We need to model them and we need to inculcate them. And the second piece of stewardship we have is to take responsibility for maintaining the strength of the public service into the future. In other words, building the next generation of public servants. My personal take on that has been to work as hard as I can to support public service that mirrors the community it serves. So we have gender diversity, we have cultural diversity. Those are very important elements because unless people can see in their leaders, if they can see themselves, they we will not have credibility. If We will risk being distanced from the community we serve. So that part of building capability is all about making sure we never lose our connection with our ultimate client. It is the government, but it's actually the actual Australian citizen. Right. So I see that as a core part of our stewardship function. Harinda, you've started to touch on it. I think I'm just going to move to our Fit for Future. And, Pat, you've explored what some of the things are that to be this contemporary public service we've got to shift. So, Sean, um, perhaps firstly, any reflections out of how the public service responded in the pandemic that we should keep going and take forward? And then secondly, what, from your observation, is that sort of capability that we all need to invest in ourselves or in those that we grow as a team coming forward? 
Uh, thanks, Kath. And I'm going to take Pat's lead and answer the question with a little chapeau. Of as course. We... So I, I do want to touch on stewardship and everything Pat and Harina said, I absolutely agree with. Uh, but I'd add a dimension that I actually think has weakened. And when I was at the Productivity Commission, we did an inquiry on human services and we looked across all of the human services world. We picked uh, six particular services to deep dive on. One of them we wrestled with and didn't pick was aged care because we didn't think we could do a good enough job of it. Uh, we thought the problems were too deep. Uh, when we looked across human services, we saw something missing in the way uh, not just the Commonwealth Government, but all levels of government were approaching it. And that is, we didn't understand the human beings we're here to serve. We didn't understand their lives. We didn't understand the connections in their lives. We didn't understand the distribution of their lives. How many different types of lives people were leading. And we weren't designing for that. We had one of two models. Either a bog standard service offering that everyone got, or a pretense that we could uh, curate a service offering individually for every single human being in the country. That doesn't make sense. So one of the stewardship things that I'd encourage you to think about, and it is the role of the public service, is that understanding of the issues and the human beings and the, their well-being and how that comes together. Uh, one thing that policy does badly, we do lifetime policy really badly. We do all these little interventions and when you think about how they hit a person's life, actually they don't, they stop making sense. Which is why Grattan and others are starting to talk about the intergenerational bargain being broken. Some of that's policy. So I just wanted to say stewardship is all of the things that are mentioned, but there's a dimension more, which is you are the policy stewards of the country. You need to understand the population, the dynamics, and what's happening into the future. The pandemic, uh, watching it from uh, largely ANU, uh, what a magnificent response from the public service. Uh, I had the privilege of hosting a meeting between uh, the top tables of three departments recently. So three secretaries and their deputies. And what I observed at that meeting was a level of natural collaboration that I have never seen in the service. And that was born of the pandemic. Um, I, I, I was... Uh, surprised, heartened, and I could see this building change that Pat's referred to in the way the Australian Public Service operates. It needs to be caught, nurtured, and never, ever let go. I think departments need to have different views and bring those views together, but the traditional model of, of fierce competition and unhealthy competition uh, um, didn't, wouldn't have worked in the pandemic. You guys shifted quickly, and I really do think it's something to embrace. Great, thank you. Pat, your reflections? <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, so, so many um, 
And I'll add a couple to that that I think are really important, but they're by no means a kind of exhaustive list of things that I think need to be the hallmarks of our service going forward. So one of the things I observed, um, pandemic, but other, other events as well, is we work well when we engage with risk and step into risk. Um, we were taking lots of risks in our response. We understood them. We did the work to understand the nature of the risk and mitigate where we could, but we, we were... You know, a crisis often empowers us to, um, to you know, take risks that we otherwise might not. And so I think that's an important element of our success and something that we need to, just, we need to grab a hold of if we can. Um, and now that changes with time, it changes with events, it changes with governments, it changes with leadership changes, but I, but I think there's something really in that. Uh, and then, you know, probably for me, another important element of it is and this is relevant to the future of the service and everybody in this room, is um, we were learning. We were learning very rapidly. We were stopping things that weren't working. We were kind of, you know, relying on subject matter experts in ways quite publicly that you don't often see out of the public service. And when things, you know, kind of went off the rails, we'd come back, we'd take another look, we'd learn to do things differently, we'd unlearn the thing that didn't work. Um, I think that's our future. I really think that our capacity to build new capabilities, to continue to build on our learning and our knowledge as a public service, as well as being able to collaborate across the system uh, and step into risk in a well-understood way, um, will continue to kind of define how successful we are as a service. And I, I think we did it in a first-rate way throughout the pandemic. Um, we, need to, we need to grab a hold of that right. in some way. I want to ask you the question, and could you keep it to three words. I'm hoping the question comes up also on the screen. Right. What are the challenges you see in the current public service? And just a three-word response, not a monologue, because it'll be a word cloud. And we're getting some answers up on the screen already. So uh, one person thinks inadequate remuneration, uh, multiple priorities, talent attraction, and retaining staff. Um, APS brand recognition. Retaining staff is trumping a few, it's coming up. Uh, collaboration. And burnout has just been a standout in that centre as well. Okay. Now, Harinda, I hope you were paying very keen interest to some of those words coming through. Any comments on the challenges that people in the room are feeling is facing the public service? Um, well, they all resonate with me. Um, I've only been here a couple of months, so I've been through most of COVID with everyone else, and um, I, I can feel some of the feeling that sits behind that. Um, I think um, that, that there's that, that piece around um, burnout, but it's collaboration and it's the fight for talent. And, I, you know, sitting here in New Zealand, it's very clear that in New Zealand is facing exactly the same issues. This isn't peculiar to Australia, it's peculiar to everyone else. Could I throw in a couple more in there? Sure, go for it. I think that the need for speed is very much on the agenda now. So there's a, um, a real uh, uh, expectation uh, on behalf of governments and the community that we will respond faster. So this peace and collaboration, I think, is related to that. But I think it raises some real challenges for policy making. And the second thing that I think um, 
uh, that we're going to be challenged by is um, the extent to which our structures are fit for the kinds of problems we're going to have to solve into the future. So, you know, we're in a world now where every department I can think of, and I'm seeing it here in New Zealand as well, is setting up task forces um, to deal with questions that just don't fit neatly in, in where we're at. I think that that's a trend for the future, but it does really raise that question about, well, should we think differently about how we pull ourselves together? Right. Can I draw on Pat? I think you referenced, you know, silos before, and is that preventing collaboration? What's your thoughts and advice to the folk in the room here, some of which might be able to influence or control necessarily the structures they work in? I'd say um, that might be true, but there is, there's always opportunity to be involved yeah. in task forces. So when I mean, we set up umpteen task forces at you know, various levels right across uh, the public service over the last couple of years, and you know, we, we talk about mobility quite a bit in the public sector, and, and, and I'm, a big, I'm a big supporter of that. So I'd say if you, if, you, if you have an opportunity to be involved in a task force, then you should seriously think about grabbing hold of that. If you have an opportunity to be involved in sort of surge work, then you should seriously think about doing that for a couple of reasons. First is, we ordinarily we bring together task forces because we have a gnarly problem, as Harinda sort of described, that cuts across so many different areas and so many different skill sets. Um, so, you know, being involved in those things, you'll get, to, you'll get to work with colleagues you may never otherwise get to work with. You'll get to learn from those people. You'll get to see how different skill sets contribute to resolving problems. Um, and, and hopefully you'll get to make colleagues for life as a, as a result of that. And I think one thing, if you haven't already worked out, um, much of what we do in the public service is based on relationships. And I think, you know, you can say that generally of the world. Um, but build those strong relationships. Getting involved in task forces and those kind of activities you may not otherwise get involved in will, will broaden your networks, will give you that opportunity to, hey, I know a person that works in that department. I can now reach out and have a conversation with them. And, I, and creating those linkages is just so, so important as you go through a career. Um, it's a nice plug for IPA. One of our big things is about networks and helping people promote and build a network. Couldn't miss the drive-by there. Um, Sean, just on capabilities, though, what are perhaps the things, your advice and reflections, like we should all be in a continuous learning mode and investing in skills? What are the critical skills? Uh, Harinda called out the need for speed, being agile, driving forward. Any top three that you can really think we all as a service need to focus on? Uh, yeah, thanks, Kath. And a, a couple of reflections. So, um, and Caroline and her crew know this. I wrote a piece recently on meetings. And I don't naturally, I'm not naturally attracted to meetings, right? They're a bit boring. But a colleague and I were walking around the lake, we're wondering what would really contribute to public service productivity? You know, dealing with all these issues we're talking about, actually doing meetings better making that part of your craft. Because I'm sure as eggs, a lot of you have gone to meetings and you're not quite sure why you're there, you're not quite sure what was decided, and you all walk away and no one carries the issues forward. That's disastrous, right? Because the world is accelerated. Uh, the work you do is very busy. And the reason why I think that's important is two societal level changes that are coming together. The first is, Society shifted very strongly to um, a, a, a community-based decision-making model, a collective-based decision-making model, collective action. So you're all working together a lot more 
and this is not just in the service, across society as a whole, individual thinking is less valorised in all of these systems. I predict a future challenge for the public service is to get the balance of that right. I think the collective models are really powerful and we're eking them out, but actually need some time and space for individual thinking. So right. I'll leave that thought with you. Lovely. That is a great note to end on. That brings us to the end of our panel. I feel like you've all had this sort of personal professional development coaching and hopefully you're filled with richness, inspiration and ideas to take back into your careers or have different conversations within your agencies. But can you firstly join with me in thanking our panel, Harinda Sadhu, Sean Innes and And there you go. What a great conversation hosted there by Kath Ingram and really... Kat's made such a wonderful contribution uh, to IPA over many, many years and that experience shone through and certainly there, Harinda, uh, Sean and Pat as well. It's a, a wonderful conversation and, again, just you know, great evidence and more proof about why the work that the Australian Public Service does is so important uh, to the health of, uh, of our community and to Australia. So a big thanks uh, to Kath for hosting today's episode of Work With Purpose. Uh, thanks again to you, the audience, for giving up some of your most valuable asset, which is your time and attention. We are really grateful um, that you do listen each week. Uh, and I'm so also grateful to IPA for continuing to put together um, such interesting content to share with you. A big thanks also to the team at Content Group and also to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks again for tuning in. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.